on the Holy Spirit because it was the day of Pentecost in the Christian faith. And in case you were not with us last week or did not know about last week, you know, Easter is sort of a, a big rock in the jaw for Christianity, but we forget that three weeks ago, the Christian calendar, we celebrate the ascension of Jesus. Remember, his resurrection was just one more step in the sort of progressive unfolding of the kingdom of God on earth. So he ascends to heaven. And then last week, we celebrated the fact that Jesus, according to the scriptures, sent his Holy Spirit into the world, the day of Pentecost, the day of the coming of God's Holy Spirit. And this is a super important day, a very important day, because it is the day where we remember both theology and history. The coming of the Holy Spirit was a substantial evidence of Jesus continuing to affirm who he is, who he said he was. And he makes good on this promise that after his resurrection and after his ascension and until his return, I never separate these words so that we would never forget that this is the era of the Holy Spirit. He told us he was going to send us in spirit. Between his resurrection and his second return, his ascension and his second return, the Holy Spirit is, is essentially God's agent in the world right now, bringing about the kingdom of God in the world. And there are lots of verses, we're only going to look at one today, that describe the Holy Spirit. But the short summation of the Holy Spirit is that he is an unstoppable power given to us so that we can carry on the work that God began in our lives through Jesus and in the world while Jesus was on earth. So Jesus' going away was not the end of a chapter, the end of the story of the kingdom of God. It was a sim simply a transitional point, you might say, for the way things were going to be for now almost 2,000 years, actually just shy of 2,000 years. So this act promised by Jesus and brought about by God is central to our understanding and practice of our faith. And it is the foundation of the church era. This is the era we live in now. And so in, in light of this and the timeliness of the Easter story and the day of Pentecost, I've been sort of revisiting some teachings in Scripture that talk about uh, the, the Holy Spirit to help us get a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives. Last week, we really drilled into the fact that he is, there's many ways to describe the Holy Spirit, but there's sort of one word that informs them all, and that is advocacy. He is regularly and in every occasion advocating on our behalf before God in this world. He is our advocate before God and our advocate that is for us in this world. He equips us and encourages us and challenges us to lead the Christian life. So last week, we looked at the first part of John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, just a quick story up here so we're on the same page. And it was there that John used a very important Greek word to describe the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the word paraclete. And that word is a combination of two Greek words, para and kaleo. This is all online. I just want to revisit it today so that we're foundationally sort of where we need to be for where we're going. And the word para means to come alongside in the Greek. The word kaleo means to, to call out and speak the truth. And so the idea of what the Holy Spirit does is that he is constantly alongside of us, speaking the truth of Jesus into our lives and our hearts. In English, a good comparison to this word would be paramedic. It's, I think, the best word we have. Think about the reality of a paramedic. A paramedic is a para, right? A person who comes alongside a person who is injured or sick, and a medic. And what they do when they come alongside that person is they help them recover by administering medical treatments. And so Jesus' explanation and promise to us here about the Holy Spirit carries this same idea. Some of our English is based on these types of words that we read in the Greek. The one difference here, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about our physical being. He certainly does. But what we're talking about here is how the soul sort of informs the physical. What we talk about with the parakaleo, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside us and speaks truth into our soul, is that he's doing this less on the medical side of life. That's why we have doctors. We're thankful for them. But the Holy Spirit is concerned with tending to the, the spiritual side of our lives. 
And what he tells us is that after his death and resurrection, Jesus, God is going to give us his Holy Spirit to help us find Jesus, grow in Jesus, and carry out the work and ministry of Jesus in our world. The work Jesus began is now fulfilled in us through the power of his Spirit. And the main way that the Holy Spirit helps us grow into the image of Jesus like this is by coming alongside our lives, guiding our steps, and continually speaking to our hearts the gospel truths of Jesus Christ. He is regularly applying Jesus' truths and commands to our hearts. Thus, Jesus says right here, hey, keep my commands. It's an evidence of us loving him. And if you've ever walked with God for some amount of time, you know keeping his commands is not always an easy thing to do. And we're thankful for grace in that area. But we should also be thankful that one of God's graces is he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we're equipped to keep the commands when we forget them or stray from them. And the most sort of central command is understanding the nature and the causes and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are now made in Jesus what we can never be on our own because of Jesus. We are loved and affirmed and cared for, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. That's the story of Easter. And it is this idea, this sort of truth-telling, that I want to continue to talk about today. And so the, the key to understanding the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is really bound up in understanding how he makes the truth of Jesus known to people. And this leads me to the only truth I want to share with you today. There is one. God gave us his Holy Spirit to continually remind us of Jesus' truth. That's what we learn in John. And I'll reread a section of what was read to you a few moments ago during our time of worship. John 14, 15 through 17. We ended at verse 16 next week. We're going to pick up in verse 17. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Remember, the first advocate was Jesus Christ. On top of Jesus, in his absence, we get the Holy Spirit. It's like grace upon grace and power upon power. And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And then John says, the Spirit of truth is another descriptor of the Holy Spirit. I said to you last week, the Holy Spirit's sort of like a prism. And depending on what is going on in our life, depending on what passage of Scripture we're studying, when we turn the prism, different rays of light hit our heart. And here what we see is Jesus turns the prism and wants us to know that his Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. In other words, he isn't just about truth. He doesn't just know truth. He is truth, all truth, in the same way Jesus was. And so this verse pointedly teaches us that God's Holy Spirit was given to us to continually point people to Jesus' truth in two critical ways. The first is this. The Holy Spirit points people who have yet to embrace Jesus' truth in their hearts to followers of Jesus who already have. And so this is a section of my teaching that's sort of aimed at helping us to understand, those of us that are in Christ, we have a responsibility to not just receive Jesus' truth and grow in it, but to be agents of Jesus' truth. Think about this. Jesus says, my Holy Spirit will be in you when you are in me. The Spirit of truth is in you and me. And so what that means is where we go, the Spirit of truth goes with us. And that truth manifests itself through the words that come out of our mouths and the deeds that we live out in this world. And this is very important to hear because it is directly tied to the Easter message we celebrated last month. The message that, for the most part, the whole of Christianity has put on their shelf right now. Easter is just beginning in the Bible. But in the world we live in, it's sort of like now we got 10 months to go before we get back to that great egg salad your grandmother makes after your Sunday church service, right? And connected to that great egg salad slash theological truth is something very important. Jesus gives us an important mission. It's not just that he resurrects 
and sends truth into the world through his spirit. He does all this and, and equips us, challenges us to perpetuate these truths in our lives and in the world we live in. We are set apart to share Jesus's gospel of peace with the world. And I want you to know that that is something we deeply care about here. It is one of our values, the idea of mission, the idea that we have truth so that we can share it with people. It is commanded by Jesus and it is empowered by his Holy Spirit. That mission is now our mission. So much so that it is one of the things that drives the ship of restoration. And I want to say that the continued health of our church is dependent not only on it, but, but fundamentally it's one of the big three here. Our desire to know truth and share truth, to apply truth in our lives and help others see and experience it, it is central to the Christian life. Therefore, it is central to our church because a church is a group of people. It's a makeup of people. We're not a place, we're a people. And so the spirit of truth is in our people. And our people should be compelled to want to share that truth with the world. Point in case, have you under, ever wondered why there are so many people in your life who have differing views about Jesus or maybe even outright disagree with you about who Jesus is? If you live in the world, and all of us do, there are people in your life guaranteed that have opposition towards the Christian faith or maybe outright, like maybe they're doubting or skeptical, or maybe they're hostile. I don't know. Every one of us has people in our lives that are likely falling into one of those categories or all three. Maybe you're in this room and you are in one of those three categories. The point is, this is why the Holy Spirit is leading them to you and you to them. There's this interesting thing that happens right after he's talked about the spirit of truth. And Jesus says, listen, the, the world can't understand this. Like the world simply meaning the unbelieving portion of the world. They can't receive this or experience this. They don't know this because they've yet to know this truth. You can't obviously accept the truth you are unaware of. And that is why God, through the power of his spirit, puts us in the lives of people far from God and takes people who are far from God and puts them in our lives. Be mindful of the fact that every one of us was far from God at one point. And even when we walk with God, if we're going to be honest, there are times in our lives where we can still be very far from God. That is why his truth is important. God wants this truth to be shared with the circle of influence that you have in your life the one I have in my life, because remember, it is his job, the Holy Spirit's, to, to find people, to help them know Jesus and grow in Jesus. And so it makes sense that he would constantly provide opportunities to those in Jesus to spread his truth in the same way. And this is why Jesus literally calls in the spirit of truth in verse 17. And so in this in mind, there's an interesting question that follows, one that we need to be paying attention to. When we begin to understand the work of Jesus in the world, when we begin to understand his truth in the world and in our lives, the question becomes, are we sort of paying attention that he wants to work through us in this way? When that idea of the world is out there, right, the one we read about here in John 14, the question is, is are we mindful of that and willing to follow his leading when he gives us the opportunity to share Jesus' truth through our words and deeds with people. And keep in mind, whenever we talk about sharing truth, that does not mean that you're going to literally, like, the starting point is not necessarily that you'll walk up to somebody and, you know, reread 15 chapters of the Gospel of John with them, or to them. The idea is that people in our lives are in various places, and we want to be mindful and sensitive of where that is. But we want to be able to apply Jesus' truth to their lives, in the ways that God leads us. So there might be different points of application, but we, for some of us, we never get to the application point because we either don't know the truth well enough to share it, or we might be timid or bashful about it when the opportunity arises. This is another great example of how Jesus makes good in his promise to do greater things through the power of his Holy Spirit in us. Literally, he says, than when he was on earth. What he says is, this is a more powerful era. 
the, power, the era of the Spirit, where Jesus' Spirit indwells all of us around the world in Christ, he can do greater things in this era of the world than he did when he was literally on earth. That is mind-bender to me, because I tend to think that Jesus on earth was the best thing we ever had. But what he says is, no, there's actually a better thing. Now I'm in all of you. So it's sort of like there's a lot more Jesus on earth through the Christian community. And that's why he can do greater things through us. It's still about him, but we're sort of invited into the process more deeply. And what Jesus tells us here is that when the Holy Spirit comes, which we read later about in Acts 1.8, remember, we're looking at just a snippet of Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, he says, look, he's coming. He's going to indwell every person that has placed their life and faith in Jesus' hands. And when that happens, he's going to guide us, enlighten us, equip us, and encourage us to pursue Jesus more constantly, more robustly. And it is through that truth-telling that he then reminds us and challenges us that he intends to release his disciples, that's us, that's you and me, to share God's gospel of grace, of peace with the world, wherever our feet take us. So wherever you go, if Jesus' truth is in you, then the Holy Spirit is in you. And what that means is the truth of Jesus goes with you. And that is a pretty powerful thought to think about. That one of the main ways God intends to do greater things on earth for his glory and our good the way he tends, intends to bless the people of our world is through our faithful followership of Jesus Christ. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to constantly remind us of what that faithful followership is and looks like. Now I have to say this, and I don't mean it to be hard, I just mean it to be honest. On a very critical side note, if we are in a place, and I've had these seasons in my life, maybe you're in one now, or maybe you were in one, but if we're at a place ever, where we have no people in our life that are far from God, where we have no people in our life who think differently than we do or believe differently, if we have no people in our life who have questions about life and faith, then it is fair to say we've identified a potential, and maybe we can just wipe the word potential off of this statement, we've identified an essential growth area and how we are stewarding the gift of the Holy Spirit Jesus has given us. Because one of the marks of a disciple is their desire not only to know truth, themselves, but to help others know and grow in Jesus's truth. There has to be a desire to spread God's truth. It does not mean you will be Billy Graham, although we're thankful for those types of ministry. It just means that you are sensitive and aware of the fact that the spirit of truth lives in you, and he wants you to light up some areas of life when you're walking through it. That's why it's super important to know the main way Jesus has chosen to spread his truth to the world. I want you to hear this right now. It's not through a nation anymore. It's not through a temple. It's not through a professional clergy. There are not enough of us left to, to see Jesus' grace sent to the world. Every year, the clergy decreases. There's less and less people wanting to get into ministry. We'll have to figure that out when we're in heaven. But what I'm saying is, it's not all about leadership or church buildings or an elite class of prophets. Rather, it is through his church. This is the way God has decided to spread truth in the world. And by his church, I mean the people, past, present, and future, who love Jesus deeply. It is through, here's the nature of the church, it's through an ordinary group of people who have been given this extraordinary gift of God's Spirit. It's through faithful people like you and me, we're trying to be faithful, that God says, listen, this is the way my Spirit of truth moves into the world now. He's in you and you are in the world. And the fact that God sees us this way should be a great encouragement to us. It really should, because it really sort of signifies the value God places on our life. It's also an evidence of the amazing relational promise he made to us, that his spirit would come alongside us and aid us in this responsibility he's given us. And that's important to know. There is nothing in the scripture, there is no command, no teaching, no truth that Jesus gives us and expects, expects us to deal with on our own. 
He gives us a truth or a command. He gives us the power of his Father in heaven, him and his Holy Spirit. And then he puts us in these communities called the church so we can exhort each other and encourage each other and, and, and really be with each other when we're down or up or whatever's in between those two things. We're never to be alone in the Christian faith. And these are evidences of the fact that God has given us a robust arsenal of tools to grow in him and know him. Now, maybe you're saying, well, how, how does he do this? How does, how does this look? Or, you know, give me some more examples of this. Well, I want to give you a very pointed example of the way the Holy Spirit works in this way. The Holy Spirit is constantly drawing people's attention to Jesus, who is the truth. That's what we learn here. And he's doing this through the platform of your life. So in your world, God is already working. You don't even, we should ask him to work, don't get me wrong. But his working is not predicated on our faithfulness to pray. I do think we need to be praying about this. Please, please don't hear me saying that. But I'm saying God is working regardless of what we're doing. The question is, do we want to be a part of what he's doing? Does our, do we want our platforms to sort of align with his? Do we want God's economy to define ours? And as he's working, when you're receptive to this, he works tirelessly in the hearts of those who doubt to help them doubt their doubts and belief, ultimately through your words and deeds. So you don't go it alone when, it, when we talk about this. You go it with Jesus and his spirit with a father in heaven on the throne. That should change the, the confidence level we have in this area. Not arrogance, don't hear me there, but confidence, a humble boldness, we might say. And so remember, as we talk about the Holy Spirit's role in pointing us to Jesus' truth, it's important to note that while he wants to make you and I more like Jesus by imparting his truth into our hearts, he doesn't only want to make us more like Jesus. He has the same desire for the people God has put in your life that are also far from him. It's always important to remember that, that while God might be doing it in different ways, what he is doing in your life, helping you to become more like Christ, he wants to do in the lives of other people. And this is where you and I find ourselves in a really healthy middle ground. God wants to work through us to do this. And what I would say here is that it's important that we sort of note the way that the Holy Spirit works, that we sort of make some space for that spontaneous way that he works. Let me give you some examples of this. I want you to think about this from the reality of your own life. If you're already in Jesus, and many of you in this room are, in hindsight, you have the unique ability to think about this teaching today because the Holy Spirit has already worked in your life in this way. He's already pointed your heart to Jesus. He's always repointing our heart to Jesus when we stray. But if you're in Christ, the foundation of the pointing has already taken place. So think about your life here for a couple of moments. It is highly unlikely I know this wasn't my story. I didn't even become a Christian until 23, and I was highly adversarial to it for a very long season of my life. Believing in Jesus or becoming like Jesus was not on our life goal list. You didn't pop out the womb saying, like, in Jesus I trust. It didn't work that way. You were shepherded and encouraged at some point, maybe, or maybe your story is very lengthy as far as being far from God, but we're not born seeking Jesus like this. I went to high school, Maybe you don't think that because of my broken Brooklyn English. But I did go to high school and school after that. But in high school, I did not, and I'm going to guess you did not, unless you went to a distinctly Christian school. When you sat down with your guidance counselor about life, they were not like, well, it's important that you have a good job and you're responsible in the world. And now let's talk about how you come to faith in Jesus. That was not on the guidance list of things, right? It wasn't taught in my college years. or Well, it was because I did an undergrad at a seminary. So thank God it was taught about in that. But if you went to a normal college, then it's very likely that, you know, the disciplines of Jesus Christ or pursuing Jesus was not one of your classes. It probably wasn't even an elective. Think about your job now. 
It is highly unlikely that in your current vocation, whatever it may be, a portion of your week from your bosses, or maybe you are the boss, is given to you to figure out how to follow Jesus more deeply. I have yet to meet the person who got an iCal or a Google calendar alert that reminded them that this was the day they were going to become a Christian. I didn't put that in my calendar at 15 and see it happen at, at 23. We don't get alerts that say, hey, this is the day I'm going to be more generous with my life. When that conviction comes upon us or we see God working and we realize generosity is necessary, there's usually no warning on that. You might be studying a truth or hearing it, but when God brings that about in your life, something changes. And sometimes the warning is not there. When we think about our time and our money, when we're serving others, when we think about supporting the work of our church, when we think about caring about God's purposes in the world more than our own, this is the way it always happens. Most of us, were not utterly seeking those things. But the longer we are in Jesus, or when God really begins to work in our lives, what happens is we start to think those things. Why? Because the Spirit is doing what Jesus said he would promise. He is advocating on our behalf and pointing us to the truths of Jesus. And while the singular foundational truth of trusting Jesus' gospel, his redemptive story, that is what starts the process, but it is not the end of the process. It is merely the beginning of the process. And we will spend the rest of our lives being pointed and repointed to deeper and more meaningful and more profound truths about Jesus. And so while the people I talk to all have different stories, different details about how they came to Jesus, the overarching story is all the same. To varying degrees, Jesus was not a priority in our lives. Maybe we're in Jesus and he's not even a priority in our lives right now. This is all too common for the life of the Christian. But over time, you want to know how common this is? We know a lot of the leadership here, okay? Leadership meaning like at the movie theater. And this morning, this isn't even in my, in my notes. This just happened. I'm not making this up. I was in the foyer and at about 8.40, uh, one of the head janitors, the guy that runs all the maintenance here, walked to me and said, uh, he said, hey man, I just want you to know, like, it's crazy, like, I bet, and he made a comment, and this is interesting, okay? Thank God it wasn't necessarily true at our church, but he said, what I've noticed is that uh, when it rains a lot, nobody goes to church, but everybody goes to the movies. This is what this dude said to me out there, right? And I'm thinking like, oh, I didn't know how to handle this. There was no guy with a guitar behind me. I couldn't have a worship service there. But we just started talking about it. It's interesting watching people sort of see this and process this. There's a, there's a different way that we are sort of drawn to God, okay? There are different sort of pathways we take. Our stories might be different. And here's a great example of somebody sort of observing the rhythms of the Christian faith, how they see the church in the world. What I want to say here, though, is no matter where we're coming, no matter where we're going, there is an incredible amount of grace in this. I don't want you to hear this section of my message being like God's hard-heartedness or his sort of cold or callous with us. Whenever he begins to bring awareness to our lives in areas, what that is is the gentle, gracious drawing of God. It is the Holy Spirit beginning to embody new truths in our lives. And here Jesus gives us this pretty interesting explanation about what's happening. He says, your belief and my belief, our sort of burden for our neighbor, the areas that we grow and change in over life, the, the causes of God in the world, when these things become illuminated in us, they are an evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. It isn't you figuring that out. It isn't me. It's God's spirit figuring that out in our hearts. And then we have the process, the, the responsibility of processing that. You probably have in your life right now people that don't know Jesus. You probably have in your life right now folks who you are currently having conversations with or maybe have the capacity to have a conversation with about life and faith. In the truest sense, God is pointing them to Jesus through you. And it will often happen at the times you least expect it like in the halls of a movie theater an hour before our worship gathering begins. 
So please don't miss the first way the Holy Spirit works to share God's truth in the world. It's through you and I. So make it a point to follow the steps of the Holy Spirit when he leads you in this area. And I'm using this in a confident sense. What I'm saying is, is he's going to. So be aware of that and press into it. So the first truth we talk about is sort of our understanding of the Spirit's work in our lives in the world. Secondly, for those of you who are in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is why you remain in Jesus. And we're going to teeter now a little bit on advocacy, like what we talked about last week. Because it's important to know that when we talk about accomplishing God's mission in the world, we should never forget that the Holy Spirit is cemented to us to see this happen. It is a daunting task even with the presence of God in our life. It's an impossible task when we think his presence is not in us as we go about it. Equally important to learn, to know. Here we learn the Holy Spirit is the glue, the spiritual glue that has sort of bound us to Jesus and God. And once we do find him and choose to follow him, this is another way that the Holy Spirit advocates for us and aids us as we follow Jesus. For the Christian, he is truly the voice in our soul that is a true north. In this life, his main responsibility is to help you and I not only read about truths, not only hear about truths, but actually live by these truths. And he does this in some very powerful ways, a handful that I'd like to share with you this morning. I don't have a lot to say here, but I have enough. And I want you to sort of slowly process these things with me. Some of the ways that the Holy Spirit causes us, helps us to remain in truth. He uses the words of God's scripture to speak to your heart. He's going to take those words and he's going to apply them to our lives. Sometimes when we want them and other times when we don't. That's what he does. And through that, he will start directing our steps. We call this wisdom in the scripture. There's a place where we can actually look in life and start knowing what it means to be able to make decisions that honor God. He is going to regularly intercede and advocate on our behalf before our Father in heaven. What this simply means is, you know, we ask people to pray for us on this earth, and we should. But the Holy Spirit is always praying for you. He is always bringing you before God the Father. Think about that. Marry that to the truth in your community group about how we pray for each other in group life. But think about the fact that even when we don't even ask, he is interceding and advocating on our behalf. And he does this. Very importantly, at the times of our life when we don't have the strength or maybe even the desire to. He is constantly reminding us of our significance in God's eyes. You know, we live in a world that often tells us you have no significance. Or it marries significance to things that are sort of treacherous. Like success. Nothing wrong with success. But try to worship that God for a while and see what happens. He reminds us of the truth when we're looking to things that are not God as if they are God. He becomes the voice of correction when we stray from God and the voice of encouragement on the days when we need it most. He is working in a lot of ways. These are some of the more profound. And while we undoubtedly play a significant role in our growth and pursuit of Jesus through things like the spiritual disciplines, this is a lot of what I'm talking about here, studying scripture, praying, being in community with each other, serving one another, blessing our neighbor, these are disciplines that if they are connected from the power and the authority of God and the Holy Spirit, they're powerless disciplines. They're not even, they might be disciplines from the sense of what we do, but they're not disciplines from the sense of what God is doing through them. Paul refers to this a lot in the New Testament. He calls these things forms of godliness, not actual godliness. It's sort of like when we do things that are around God, but not necessarily rooted in God. And this makes sense. Think about this. All of this stuff we're talking about right now, what makes them godly is the fact that God's spirit inhabits them. Those are disciplines meant to help us deeply know God. You can study the Bible like an academic tool. You, I started reading this week a book on Norse mythology. Some people read the Bible like that. The Bible in and of itself 
is an amazing tool. Its words are life. But it is God's presence in our life that brings them to life. That's why we read fiction and scripture in different ways. They're not just designed to get us to know something about God, but to know something intimate about God. And there's a big difference in these two areas. A form of godliness or actual godliness. And this is why it's so important for us to get this. Because missing how God's spirit imports truth to you and I will have us beating ourselves up on the days when we're failing God because we're disconnected from grace and we'll very likely pat ourselves on the back on the days when we follow God well because we start remembering or start thinking that we don't need grace. In those moments, the Holy Spirit becomes truth and points us in directions. He shapes life. So what is my point in all of this as we begin to narrow to a close here? Simply put this, what you and I believe about the Holy Spirit has a direct impact on how you and I understand our lives in Jesus. And I reiterate what I said last week. It is so unfortunate that, it, that these teachings, I'm just looking at one of a slew of them in the New Testament today, that these teachings, which highlight such a significant role for the life of the Holy Spirit in our lives, unfortunately, out of all of the, the work that God does in the world and in the New Testament, what happens here is the Holy Spirit is the one that is often the most misunderstood and neglected. He tends to be viewed in our modern religious culture in unhealthy ways at times. On the religious side of things, you know, I sort of alluded to this last week, but we have old Bible translations that call him a ghost. Some people get confused by that. On the cultural side of things, we hear the word spirit. I mean, I've seen spiritualism in, in America. It's grown substantially. There was a time where spiritualism was more like something that happened around the world. I'll never forget the first time I went to Brazil to do mission in the northern part of the country. And I was watching on the beaches of Parnaíba a group of people float a big white statue out in the ocean. And I asked the local missionaries who lived there, I was like, what are they doing? It looks like they're pushing a dead body out into the ocean. And they said, this is the way they worship their God. Like once a week, they float this big white thing out there. Hyper-spiritualism, right? That's, we're, saying, we're saying the word spirit and have two entirely different meanings. The Holy Spirit is not a random foam cutout we throw into the ocean. He is God's presence on earth through Jesus. So on the cultural side of things, we have different understandings of this. Movies, you know, TV series, the modern spiritualist movements, the hokiness of spirituality in our world. Some people in the Christian faith take that stuff and define God's spirit by that, as opposed to taking his spirit and let it define spiritualism in the world. When you're spiritual in, in the, through the nature of the Holy Spirit, there's an object of that spirituality, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. You know, it's sort of interesting. I always make jokes about Star Wars when stuff is in the theaters, but in, in, uh, in my time in ministry, what I find most common, the referral point to the Holy Spirit, is something very impersonal. Like they believe God's Spirit's in the world, but he's more like an energy, like the force, you know, which is great. Like Solo is out right now, and these theaters will be packed for the next couple, couple of weeks. That idea is, sort of permeates our culture. And like the force is awesome if you're Yoda, but it's terrible if you're trying to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you want a meaningful and personal relationship with God, thinking that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force, some being, something, is not what leads you to a, a very particular and refined peace and hope that can only be found in Jesus. The Spirit's job is to clarify truth, not confuse it. There is no ambiguity there. And so if you really want to understand and experience the work of the Holy Spirit, then you have to avoid these theological and cultural misnomers by knowing the truth. The truth is before us. It has been given to us. And in the power of the Spirit, we are guided in it. And the truth about the Holy Spirit is this. He is Jesus' enduring presence in our lives. He is literally Jesus' Spirit dwelling in us in his absence while he is in heaven. And he alone can enable and experience an unassailable form of God's truth, 
peace, acceptance, love, stability, forgiveness, joy, justice, and righteousness. He brings that stuff about in us. You can't be righteous on your own, neither can I. We can't have the joy of Jesus without Jesus, right? We can't have anything of Jesus without Jesus. And that's what the Spirit does. And it's why he graciously warns your heart when you drift from these truths. When in your own wisdom and strength, you seek out these things in something that is not God as if it were God. This is the definition of idolatry. And it's been a while since I've given you this definition, but I want to revisit it. I've said before, because this is worth saying, that when we think idol worship in this country, we tend to think about that hokey spiritual stuff. But idol worship in America is substantial. Seldom have I counseled a person that said, Anthony, I'm having a tough go in life. I'm bowing before a six-headed serpent that's made out of bronze, and it is taking me away from Jesus. I have yet to have that story in this country with somebody. That's how we tend to think of idol worship. But I'm telling you, idol worship here, what pulls us away from the truth is far more sophisticated, but no less treacherous. It's just got its own application in the Western world that we live in. And so what happens is, is we, we have some tricky ones we tend to get bound up in. We uh, worship at the altar of relationships. We place people ahead of God. We worship at the altar of personal comfort. We sort of put our leisure and our desires before God. We worship at the altar of ourselves. This is the God of America right now. We try to fashion God into our image, and then we ask him to live by our expectations. We mold him every day, not the other way around. Our spirit defines him. Sometimes we worship the idol of performance and success. We let what we are or what we are not yet in this life have the loudest voice about who we are. This list can go on forever, but I'll stop it here because my point is this. In this life, it is very easy for us to confuse truth with lies. That's what being broken and fallen means. And sometimes the things we tell ourselves are actually lies that we've so persisted in for so long that they've become the truth. We can't even discern the difference anymore. We begin to live by the lie, whatever that is in our lives. All of this is part of what it means to be human. It is the remnant of brokenness that still is so pervasive in our world today. And it is why a teaching like this is so important, so powerful, and so indicative of the love and care God has for us in every season of life. Whatever your six-headed statue is, God is with you during that and wants you to see a greater truth. It is in those times of weakness or confusion that the Holy Spirit really proves his metal to us, proves his worth to us, because he loves us enough to call us back to the faithful path of a disciple. He encourages, rebukes, exhorts, directs, guides us away from lies and back to the truth because he is the spirit of truth. He corrects us straying by speaking to us through the word. This morning, crazy. I, was, uh, I get up very early on Sundays and I was finishing my sort of final edit of my message. I write my sermons very early, but I read, them a few I read it a few times on Sunday morning just to kind of make sure I'm acquainted with it. And I got up from my computer in, in Restoration's office, which is a very fancy way of saying like the room in the front of my house. That's all our office is right now. But I got up and I, I pressed, um, I was listening to music, some instrumental music, and I pressed what I thought was pause on my computer and Psalm 66 just popped up. I don't even know how it happened. And, and I started to walk out of my office. I paused it because I was about to get a shower. And I thought, well, maybe Psalm 66 popped up for a reason. Maybe I should take the two, two minutes and 27 seconds. It'll take Max McLean to read the Bible for me in my iTunes account. And I listened to it. And it was profound what God said. He was talking about sort of us recognizing the power of God in the world. Us recognizing that God is God. And that God is for us when we are for his causes. That was a truth I did not expect to hear this morning. But it was a very encouraging one as I got on with my day. 
Man, I'm telling you, sometimes when we need it, sometimes when we don't even know we need it. It's in our times of weakness, or maybe God just needs to say something to us that we don't even think we need to hear. It's in those moments that the Holy Spirit truly shows his merit as his advocate, our advocate. He becomes our voice and our strength. He reminds us of Christ's truth and promises in our life when we are not strong enough to remember them on our own. He reminds us that the work we do for God, hear this right now, especially if you got here for setup about, about 7.15 this morning, the things we do on this earth, whether it's in this room or the rooms adjacent or in our community groups or in your workplace, when we represent God, it might often seem that they are done in vain, but they are not. God is manifest in those things. And we might not always see the result, but we can be blessed by fidelity. We can be blessed by the fact that the greatest result God desires in our life is faithfulness to him. And in that, we can be no more successful before him. He is the voice that whispers to us that we matter when we feel as if we don't. He reminds us constantly there is hope in this world when it seems like there is none. He tells our hearts that he is in control when the world around us seems to fall apart. He is the voice in our souls reminding us of the truths of Jesus Christ. And he's going to do that until Jesus returns, where once again, Jesus will tell us those things face to face. That's going to be a good day. But this is also a really good day because his spirit is with us. So as we move into response time, if you want to truly experience God's goodness, if you want to experience the grace of Jesus, then you have to make it a point to live in and understand the presence of his Holy Spirit like we've been talking about. If you are settling for anything less than this snippet of truth we've talked about today, you are selling yourself short on the Holy Spirit. And in selling yourself short on the Holy Spirit, you are selling yourself short on Jesus. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is here to help us know Jesus more deeply. And so as we close, a few moments we'll be back in life. But as we close and have this brief time of response, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying to you about the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit in your life? And what is it you will do about it as we leave this place? Pray with me. Father, thank you for uh, a ray of absolute Christ-centered sunshine on a morning where there is anything but sunlight in the world we live in. I pray today, Lord, that the light that illuminates the steps in front of us would not come from the heavens this day, but from us. And that we would recognize without a shadow of a doubt just how significant these handful, these three verses in the Gospel of John, so short in what you communicated to your followers, but so profound in the everlasting and eternal impact they were meant to have on the lives of those who heard you say them and the lives of the men and women who have followed you since that day. It is our prayer now, God, as we try our best to sort of drown out the craziness of the world around us, as we try to truly have a, a brief space of meditation this morning. I pray, Lord, that what we think about now as we talk about response would not be the, a couple of moments we have you in the end of a conversation with you, but it would truly be the beginning of a point that we think about and pray about and process with you throughout this week before you in your word and with each other. I pray now, Lord, that you would bless this time we have thinking about you, praying about you, and processing what you have said to us. Guide our steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.